episode is a sermon by Reverend Morgan. It's entitled By Grace Alone. It's based on Romans 3, 23-25, and it's a sermon about the basis of our salvation. You ever feel like you don't measure up? I think more and more people are feeling like that these days. Uh, social media is certainly a contributing factor to these feelings of inadequacy. According to a study that was authored by researchers at Marquette University and a university in Australia, spending just 30 minutes per day looking at social media websites can make women focus negatively on their weight and their physical appearance. 30 minutes a day. At work, men and women are looking to change jobs. Uh, One out of five employees, according to a recent survey, are looking to find a new place to work in 2022. And a lot of that has to do with the expectations that are upon employees and workers in this day and age. The expectations go up, uh, sometimes to ridiculous heights. And employee frustration with having to meet expectations that are beyond their ability to meet That leads to a loss of energy and a loss of creativity that one brings to the job, which just makes those expectations even harder to reach, and it makes the boss's disappointment and fury all the more inevitable. It's a vicious circle that people are desperate to get out of these days. I have some bad news for you. We don't measure up. We don't. But not for the reasons that your boss may be giving you, and not for the reasons that your Instagram feed may be giving you. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, says the scripture. That's the real problem that we face in terms of our own inadequacies and in terms of our own failure to measure up. You know, it doesn't matter uh, whether... Uh, Our pictures in swimsuits look as good as everybody else's pictures on Instagram uh, in swimsuits. It doesn't matter, it may not matter, that we can't meet the unrealistic expectations of our supervisor. Uh, Fortunately, the labor market is a seller's market, and right now it would be with a little belt tightening and some courage. uh, Not too difficult to find a work environment where the demands are more reasonable. But it does matter that we're sinners and that we have fallen short of God's glory because the consequences for that failure are eternal, not just temporal. Now, before we go any further, let me define some terms for you. Uh, What is this word sin? What does that mean? Uh, And what does it mean to fall short of God's glory? Well, our teens in confirmation class are trying to determine the answers to that question right now. Lee asked them to submit some photos that illustrate the word sin. I haven't seen those photos, but I would love to uh, love to see what they came up with. Um, one way to translate Paul's uh, statement here uh, is, is this way. that may shed some light on that. may give us an image of sin. All have wandered and have come up short at the end. That's one way to translate Paul's statement in Romans 3.23. Once I helped to put on a 5K race that was a fundraiser for a small nonprofit, and my brother-in-law, who has hiked the Appalachian Trail and has run in the Boston Marathon, was kind enough to be uh, in our community that weekend of the race, and he paid the registration fee and ran the race. And he was doing really well with the 
with under a mile to go, he was in third place. Like, and he was like in his mid thirties. He was beating like or like competing with uh, guys on the track team at the local college. But then a volunteer, bless his heart, uh, pointed him down the wrong trail along the path of the 5K course. And by the time he realized that he was running all by himself, not because he was in first place, but because he was running all by himself, it was too late. He, he came up short. He wasn't able to, to win the prize in the race. This is a parable. This is a metaphor. As we strive to be good people, as we strive for the glory of God, we often wander off the course because we are led astray. And instead of racing toward God's glory, we wind up going down paths that lead toward different forms of glory. Now, there's nothing wrong with taking pride in one's appearance. There's nothing wrong with taking pride in one's work ethic. But when we make beauty or career or power or money or any other kind of worldly success, the end goal of our life, instead of God, then we have wandered down the most dangerous and slippery path of all, the path of idolatry, breaking God's first and most important commandment to have no other gods before the Lord. Idolatry is to love something that is not God as though it were our God. And idols, they can be kind of, they can be cruel masters, you know? I mean, even if you're walking around with a, a, a six-pack underneath that shirt that you're wearing, on Instagram there's some dude with an eight-pack, you know? You've always got to do more. You may have set a sales record for July, August, September, and October, and maybe your sales manager's like, what about this month? I mean, you know, what have you done for me lately? Why you, you did so well four months in a row. Why did you come up short this month? Idols are cruel masters. They are always demanding more and more and more. And eventually we hit the wall and we're unable to meet their demands. Sin is to wander off the path that leads us toward God. And to wander down paths that lead us toward cruel gods that can't provide for us. There's another way to define sin. It's, it's in our Presbyterian confessions. It's this. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Now, I don't have to look at my sermon notes for that one because when I was a kid, I had to memorize the catechism. And that was the answer to the question in the catechism, what is sin? And I had no idea what it meant. I was like 11. So I, just, I literally had to memorize the words one after another. Any one of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Then I went and got a theological education, and now I understand what that sentence means. It means that God gives us commandments to obey, that God is a lawgiver. And as sinners, we are lawbreakers. We fail to keep the law in spirit or in letter. You know those commandments, right? Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Those are just three of the top ten. Maybe you're thinking, well, you know, I haven't done any of those things. Maybe sin is a problem for other people, but it's not a problem for me. Well, okay, maybe you've kept the letter of the law, but have you obeyed the law in spirit? Have you kept your marriage vows because you love and cherish your spouse? Or because you know that your spouse will take you to the cleaners if you get caught having an affair? 
Have you, have you not embezzled money at work because you just haven't found a way to beat the auditors yet instead of having respect for the goods of another human being? Maybe you've kept the law in letter, but not in spirit. You're still a lawbreaker. And on this Reformation Sunday, it's worth remembering an insight of one of the great church reformers, Martin Luther. This is one of the limitations of God's commandments. God's commandments, the divine law, and the laws of the state of New Jersey and the federal code, they can keep us from doing bad things, but for the wrong reasons. You know, they, they make us do the right thing for the wrong reasons. They can kind of govern our external behavior with threats of punishment, but the law can't touch our inward heart, our inmost heart, where the devices, where our desires are manifest in our behavior. On the other hand, maybe our obedience is pure because not only do we do the right thing, but we do it for the right reason. Maybe our heart and our behavior are aligned. The trouble is, we live in a world that is a rebellion against God. And since we can't get out of this world in which we live, we inevitably find ourselves implicated uh, in the sin that the world commits in toto. We find ourselves as cogs in a sin machine, whether we want to be one or not. I'll give you an example that comes from uh, Bethany Soul Raider's book, Why Is There Suffering? A book that we've been talking about, or some of us have been talking about on Wednesday evenings. Say your friend has a baby, and you are rejoicing that your friend has had a new baby, and you want to do something nice for your friend, and so you go to the store, and you buy this cute little onesie that says, Spit Happens, and you bring it home, and you wrap it in a box, and you put a bow on it, and you take it to the baby shower, and you give it to your friend who's just had a baby, and it fits perfectly, and she's delighted, and you've done a wonderful thing, haven't you? You've done the right thing for the right reason. Except that, where was that onesie made? Well, it was made by a nine-year-old in a factory in Bangladesh. And where did the material for that onesie come from? Well, it came from cotton in Mississippi, which takes a huge amount of water to grow, and then it takes all of this uh, diesel fuel to ship the raw wool from Mississippi to Bangladesh, where it's uh, spun and where it's dyed and where the nine-year-old turns it into a onesie. And then it takes more fuel to ship it back to the target uh, in New Jersey, where you bought it from. And you didn't set out to exploit child labor and destroy the environment when you went to get your friend a onesie. You just wanted to do something nice for your friend, and you did. But you did that other thing, too. And you, and you didn't set out to do it, but you did And that's the world that we live in. It's a world where some people are more responsible than others for what's wrong with the world, but it's a world where there's more than enough guilt to go around. More than enough guilt to go around. So what can we do about this spider web of sin that we find ourselves tied up in? The answer is nothing. We can't do anything about it. We can, uh, we can strive to be better people, and the more that we strive to be better people, the more we get entangled in the web of sin. We've gone too far down the rabbit trail 
of sin to get back on track and find our way home to our divine parent who loves us. And even God's commandments are not an effective roadmap back. They just show us how lost we've gotten. That's the bad news. The good news is this. God has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Paul puts it this way in a very long and tangled sentence in Scripture. Since all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, they are now justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. God has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And yet that sentence is very long and very tangled. What does it mean? What does it mean? Well, this is one way that it's been understood by theologians in the Christian tradition. A way that is shared by both Protestants and Roman Catholics. And it's worth remembering that on this Reformation Sunday, despite what divides Protestants and Catholics, there's more that unites us than divides us. Uh, and, it, and it goes this way. God is a righteous God. God is a just God. And sin dishonors God's goodness and justice. Sin incurs a, We incur a debt when we sin against God. And because God is righteous and just, God deserves satisfaction for that sin. God deserves to be repaid. And because it's human beings who sin against God... It's fitting that a human being ought to make the payment. But because our sin against God approaches infinity, none of us can make the payment. Only a divine being could pay an infinite debt. And yet a human being ought to pay the debt, because it's we human beings who have sinned. And so the solution to this little problem is that God puts forward Christ Jesus, who is the God-human. Because he is divine, he can repay the debt that humanity owes God. And because he is a human being, it is fitting and appropriate that he pay that debt. In his life among us, Christ Jesus never wandered away from the path of righteousness. He never took one of these dead-end trails uh, and got lost. He found his way home on the path of obedience, which is what all of us owe God. But Jesus took one step further. Jesus offered his death to God as a gift, which is something that he didn't have to offer. He offered to God a shameful death on a cross. He died as any criminal might be put to death, even though he had not incurred any sin or any guilt. And God accepted this gift and raised Jesus from the dead. And this gift of eternal life that God has given to Jesus he now shares with you and with me and with everyone who puts their trust in him. You know, even though Christ on the cross has been uh, an object of artists to render for centuries, truth be told, there's nothing beautiful about a man who has been tortured and then put to death in a public spectacle. If Jesus' actual crucifixion were posted to YouTube or Instagram, it'd be taken down and the account would be suspended. And truth be told, Jesus who lived and did ministry and did wonderful things 
for three years among God's people, had very little to show for himself at the end of that ministry. Those thousands of people that followed him, by the end of this ministry, uh, they've been whittled down to just a few devoted folks. At the foot of the cross, there are more people there mocking Jesus and detracting him for his failure to save himself than there were people who were devoted to him. But in this place of dishonor and ugliness, the honor and the dignity of the human race was restored. Our honor and our dignity were restored at the cross of Jesus Christ. In this place of ugliness and horror and failure, God offers God's own self to human beings. And that is a gift of glory that is far greater than any glory that we can seek or find in this world. And if we find ourselves drawn to this place of ugliness and failure, and if we find ourselves drawn to places of ugliness and shame in the world, whether they are sweatshops abroad or slums at home, then we will discover for ourselves the great insight of the reformers of old. That God owes us nothing, but God gives us everything in Christ Jesus our Lord. We discover for ourselves once anew, no matter uh, what our doubts and our suspicions are, no matter what our missteps and our failures to follow properly have been, we discover for ourselves anew that we are saved by God's grace alone, and that we receive that gift of love and acceptance by putting our trust in Christ Jesus, our Lord, the one who gave his life for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review this podcast so that we can reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ. To support our ministry, go to www.haddonfieldprez.org and click on the Give tab at the top of the page. Grace and peace be with you.